Please join me in reading Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is God's word. It is true, and it is given out of his love. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to, to be with you worshiping in, in 2021, right? A new year. We made it. I don't know if any of us thought we would get to this point, right, at, at certain points in this year. But it's great to be with God's people, singing His praises and studying His Word. And if you're joining us online, we're grateful that you are with us there as well. And so if you want to leave a little comment off to the side in the comment box to let us know you're worshiping with us this morning, that would be great. Uh, for, for, the, for the rest of us that are, that are here in the gym, it's, it's just, it's, it's such a good place to start the, the new year, is to know that we're together with God's people and and that we're going to be entering this next year knowing that uh, he is sovereign over 2021, just like he was sovereign over 2020. And when things don't turn out the way that we would have thought or imagined or hoped in many cases, uh, we know that he is good and that he loves us and that we can trust him. And so what we're going to do this morning is what we do every year on the first Sunday of the year. We're going to take a, 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 a standalone morning just to spend some time talking about a potential vision for this next year and what, what could 2021 hold for us and, and how can we enter that faithfully. So, so the next week we'll be back in our study of 1 Corinthians that'll carry us all the way through Easter. But um, yeah, the reason we do a vision sermon every year is because it just seems like such a good uh, habit to be in. It's one of the things that our culture actually does really well is this idea of, hey, it's a new year. What things do we want to change to have a healthier year ahead of us? Those things, those New Year's resolutions are usually broken by about, uh, I don't know, probably January 4th. So by tomorrow, most of us will have uh, failed at our New Year's resolutions. But what we're praying about as a church is saying, how can we be the people that God has called us to be in this next year? You know, what, what would it look like for us to be a healthy church full of healthy disciples who are making more disciples of Jesus to love Jesus in, in more and more and deeper and deeper ways? And so um, what, what this morning is going to be is really just a continuation of a series we did this summer. This summer, as we went from online back to gathering in person, we, we spent about 12 weeks talking about what it looks like to come back to church. You know, if, if, this, was, if this, this was my first pandemic I've ever been through, I don't know about you, uh, but, but as our first pandemic, we want to make sure that we learn the lessons that God has taught us, that we don't just get through this hard year and go back to some of the unhealthy habits that we had before. So what are the things God wanted us to learn? And, and so now as we enter this new year and we're getting some new rhythms and, and things are, are, are Lord willing opening up, you know, El Paso County is going from red to orange tomorrow is what I've heard. So some, we're headed the right direction with some things. How do we make sure that our souls are also headed the right direction? You know, because, because if you evaluate your life and you say, um, what do I want my new year's resolutions to be? Uh, I mean, this year, like, where do you begin? I mean, if you're anything like me, like, I have so much unhealth and crap in front of me that I'm like, I don't even know where to start. There's so many different things I could do. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the movie Soul, uh, Pixar's new movie that just came out. But there's this fascinating scene where there's these, these lost souls who, who have this obsession that then turns into a really unhealthy, inward-focused thing that just destroys these souls and makes the, the Pixar calls them lost souls. But I think that's a really good picture of what a lot of us have found ourselves in in 2020 is we, we got turned inward. We, we got focused in on ourselves. And whenever we focus in on ourselves, what happens is we become the worst version of ourselves. And so just like in this movie Pixar, I think the fascinating thing is that these lost souls need someone else to help them no longer be a lost soul. 
And that's a beautiful metaphor for where God has led us as his people, is that we cannot, we lack the tools on our own to find health and to get to a healthy place. And so we need to use the tools that God has provided for us and, and, and that those other tools is the body of Christ. It's the other people in our church and in our families and, and in our neighborhoods, the other Christians that are pointing us to Jesus. But ultimately, that health is only going to come through Jesus himself. Okay, he is the redeemer. The rest of us are just instruments in his hands, to, to use a, tri- a, a Paul Tripp book title there. So, so what I want us to see this morning is that left to ourselves, we are, we are in a bad spot. Okay, but when I'm stuck, I need your help to help me get unstuck. And, and you are the grace that God has put in my life to help me become unstuck. And when you're stuck, you need my help to, to help you get unstuck. Together, the body of Christ, we can find greater health because of what God is doing in our midst. So, so it's going to be a little bit of a different morning. We're not really going to study a passage. We're going to take a passage that leads to another passage, to another passage, to another passage, and we're going to kind of follow this chain of ideas till we get to the end of where we're going this morning. So I just would ask that you pray with me as we get started, that this morning would be uh, as, as impactful and as beneficial as, as God wants it to be for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and the fact that uh, so many of your people are gathered here in this room and in the library and, and watching online. We know that, that as you work in our midst, as you work in our hearts, uh, that you are uh, bringing your plan to completion. Lord, that you began a work in each of us and your word promises us that that, that will one day be brought to this beautiful fruition where we are, are fully known in your sight, where we are, are fully uh, able to enjoy the presence of, of your son. And, and I pray that in the meantime, as we await that day, that we would be faithful stewards of these moments, that, that, that this uh, new year would be a, a chance for us to rededicate and redevote ourselves to following you and coming hard after you so that we can be a place where we uh, experience your love. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start off this morning in Galatians 6, that passage that Stacy just read. And, and what um, we want to do, what we want to do every year when we do these vision sermons is, is take a look at our vision statement as a church and say, if that's who God is calling us to be, how can we do a better job of doing that? So, so our prayer is that everyone who comes to Missio Day would be able to experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people. Okay, but the, the key part there, the centerpiece of that whole prayer is that we would experience the love of Jesus. And so as a group of people gathering on a Sunday morning, as a group of people who call Missio Day our home church, what our prayer is, is that we would be so uh, in-depth and, and in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing and so full of the love of Jesus that when other people come to church here, they cannot help but encounter that same love of Jesus. Okay? So if that's the goal, then what's the hang-up? Okay, why is it that so often, if you're, find, if you're like me, you find yourself stuck, like I just said? What is it that we need to get unstuck so that we can experience more of Jesus' love and have other people experience that love through us? So let's look at that Galatians 6 passage again, because I think this is a great picture of what 2020 was for so many of us. Let's look at Galatians 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, brothers, or, or brothers and sisters, uh, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so there's two different sides of this. There's the person who's stuck and caught, and there's the person who is trying to help that person who is stuck. And so let's just talk honestly about this last year for each of us, um, that there has been times where we have been caught, where we have been stuck. He says that if anyone is caught in a transgression, and, and that describes each of our hearts at different points this past year. Uh, the, the word caught is fascinating. It, it means to be completely overcome, to be uh, overtaken by something. It's, it's this image in the Greek of like an avalanche that is coming down the mountain so fast that no matter what you do, you can't outrun it. 
It's a tidal wave that there's no defense from. It's, it's being caught in these things, and it's being and so overwhelmed by them that there's nothing you can do on your own to get out of it. It's like that lost soul from that Pixar movie we talked about. And then he says that, that there um, are people who are burdened, right? So the, the burdens of sin, the burdens of, of being sinned against, the burdens of everything that happened to us this year, those two words, I think, are a perfect picture of where a lot of us have found ourselves in 2020. We've been, we've been caught and we've been burdened. Uh, and then lest any of us think that somehow this passage does not apply to us, Paul puts in the middle there, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So he's, he's letting us know that no one is above this. There is no one here who is so mature and so godly and has it so together that we are above being caught in sin, that we are above being tempted in different areas, that we are above having burdens that we need other people to help us carry. And so, so if that's where we've been this year, then our, our prayer is that we would be able to go into this next year and be a church that helps each other when we find ourselves caught and burdened by the things of life. And that's what Paul is, the point of this passage is. And so, so our prayer is that, that everyone here, when we have found ourselves caught and burdened, that we would have experienced the love of Jesus through the love of his people in the way that Paul describes in these verses. Look at what he says. He says that if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That that word restore is the first part. It's the goal of what we're trying to do. When you encounter a person in our church, in your family, in your neighborhood that is caught in sin, the godly believer's mission in life is to restore them. And this word restore, I mean, sounds great, right? Who who doesn't want to be restored to find a place of greater health? That's what New Year's resolutions are all about. But the word in Greek for restore is actually a medical term, and it means to have the bone that is broken be set. Okay, so, so it's, it's the health that comes from something that was out of alignment or out of joint now being put back to where it's supposed to be. But uh, speaking as, a, as an expert, a, a father of uh, kids who have we, have, we have had five different broken arms uh, in our kids' lives the last few years, and so we've seen many bones set, right? And, and the idea of like, I want to be restored, that sounds good, I like to be healthy. The problem is getting to that place of health where you've had a bone set is a, is a painful process that you have to endure. You know, the first time our daughter broke her arm, we went to the emergency room, and the doctor's like, okay, we're going to need to reduce this a little bit to make sure it heals correctly. And I'm like, reduce? That sounds good. We, we all love for reducing things, right? Trimming budgets and cutting things like that. Let's just, just reduce it a little bit. What he meant by reduce this bone was that he, as a you know, 200-pound man, was going to put all of his weight on our daughter's forearm and push with all of his might to make sure that this bone went back into place. And while she's screaming and, and, and is crying out for help and all the pain that that's bringing, that picture is what Paul's talking about here. Because when, when you are caught in transgression, when you are burdened, you need to be restored. But that restoration process is a painful thing that God uses to bring healing and wholeness to us. And if that's going to happen, we need people that have the same attitude to what Paul expresses here. He says, let them do it in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so, so the goal is restoring people. The attitude that which we do that restoration has to be one of gentleness. I mean, as, as sinners, we have all messed up in our lives. We've all been caught in our sin. And unfortunately, we've all experienced those moments where someone gleefully and joyfully rubs our nose in our sin. And they point out how big a failure we are, how, how messed up we are, how, how much more immature and ungodly we are than them. And that holier-than-thou holier self-righteous attitude is what Paul's saying we can't have. We have to restore them with a spirit of gentleness, okay? a spirit that says, hey, but for the grace of God, there go I. You and I are, are, are at our core no different from each other, and we all are not beyond being tempted, and we all need that restoration from time to time, which means we all need people to bear our burdens. I love how this passage ends. He says that to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, the law of Christ from Galatians 5 is that we would love one another 
as he has loved us, that we would love your neighbor as yourself. And so I, I love Tim Keller's commentary on this passage. He says that if you're going to bear someone's burdens, the, the image is, is someone is, is, is weighed down with a pack, there's something on their back that's so heavy they can't lift it by themselves. And if you're going to help bear someone's burden, you have to be close enough to them to come alongside them to help lift that burden off of their back and help put it on your back instead. Okay, that, that's a picture of a, of a deep and caring relationship that happens with intentionality as someone is saying they want to serve Jesus well together by bearing one another's burdens. Okay, so, 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 so think about the picture that Paul is painting here and think about our church and just what a beautiful image it is for all of us. Where, where, where no one is caught in sin, no one is burdened and, and unhelped, but rather that we rally around each other, that we help bear each other's burdens. We do this in a spirit of gentleness that we're restoring one another and pointing each other to health. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? Okay, that's the kind of community we want to be as followers of Christ. But if we're going to help each other get there, how do we do that? Who are, who are the people that are able to bear these burdens? I love Paul's description of them in verse 1. He says, If anyone's caught in a, a transgression... You who are spiritual are the ones who should restore this brother or sister. And a lot of times we read that and we think, okay, this is for some like A-team Christian. This is some super Christian, some super mature person who has it all together. It's only the spiritual who are called to help restore people. And that's not what Paul's saying at all. And the reason we know that is because Galatians 6 that we're reading right now actually comes after Galatians 5. That's one of those, those easy math problems that even I can understand. So if you look, flip back to Galatians 5, Let's look at Galatians 5, 6 through 17. And here he tells us what it means to be a spiritual person who is able to restore a brother or sister who is caught or is struggling. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what, what Paul's doing, is he's de describing the war that each of us experiences inside of us. Okay, as, as, and once you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you who is, is leading you to follow Jesus, who is convicting you of sin, who, who, who is, is calling you to greater holiness, but you also have the residual effects of sin in your flesh. Okay, our old nature that is, calling, that is trying to pull us back towards the life we had before Christ. And Paul's saying this internal battle that we all feel, if we are led by the Spirit, we're not going to gratify our sins. And being led by the Spirit, Paul's word for that in Galatians 6, is being a spiritual person. Okay, so, what, so when Paul's saying, he's not saying there's some super Christian out there who's able to help restore people. He's saying every Christian, by virtue of having the Holy Spirit within us, has the opportunity to be that rest, restorer of souls, that person who helps people, who bears their burdens, who helps them grow in their, their uh, likeness of who Jesus has called them to be. And when that person, when you are walking with the Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit coming through you. Look at verse 22 from Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, so if, the call, if, if our goal as a church is to be a place where people can experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people, that means that we want to be a place that is able to restore people and bear their burdens. But Paul says the only way that you can restore someone and bear their burdens is if you are a spiritual person, which means you are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the fruit of the Spirit means that the, the, that the Holy Spirit is working so much in your life that when someone bumps into you, the thing that spills out is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all of those things. Okay, what, what a beautiful picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
is that when the going gets tough, when the chips are down, when things get tense, instead of us reacting with our flesh and snapping at people and yelling and biting their heads off and being angry and, and giving into sin and all those things, instead of that spilling out of us from our flesh, instead we're so full of the Holy Spirit that it's the fruit of the Spirit that comes out on people and that we're able to help restore them and bear their burdens because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Okay, who doesn't want to be that church? Who doesn't want to be that Christian that has that kind of fruit coming up from your life? So then the natural question is, if we want to have those fruit, that fruit in our hearts, where does that fruit come from? You see, see the chain we're working here? If we want to help bear people's burdens, we have to be spiritual people from the fruit of the Spirit. Well, where does that fruit come from? Jesus tells us where it comes from in John chapter 15. Let's look at verse 4. Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying the key to, a, to bearing fruit, to having the fruit of the Spirit come through your heart is by being attached to the vine, by abiding in him. And that, that word abide is so important. It's such a, a, a wonderful New Testament word. It means to, to stay somewhere, to remain somewhere, to rest somewhere. It's the opposite of trying and striving on your own. So a lot of times we think, oh, I want to be a more loving person. I want to be a more joyful person. I want to be a more peaceful person. All, all those fruits of the Spirit, we want to pursue those on our own strength. And we act as if we can get the fruit of the Spirit through the works of our flesh. And that's not how this works. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit comes through the power of the Son. It comes through the power of Jesus. And so we don't get fruit by working harder. We get fruit in our hearts by abiding more, by resting in Jesus more, by staying with him, by remaining with him. And so the reason that so many of our lives feel devoid of love as if we don't have the ability to love people, we don't have the ability to be full of joy or full of peace or patience, all those things, the reasons our lives feel so dry is because we are not doing what Jesus is telling us to do. Instead of abiding in him and remaining in him, we're off doing our own thing, thinking that if we just try harder, we can finally get the courage and the character that we've been longing for. It's like our Christmas trees, right? So, like, so if you're, if you're you know, a real American that cuts down a Christmas tree and, and has a real tree instead of a, a fake one, a plastic one in your living room, uh, if you have a real tree in your living room, you know that it's, it's got, as soon as you put it in there, the clock starts right? It's been detached from this root system. It's been detached from the nutrients. And so because of that, it starts to get a little more dead and a little more brown each day. I think, I think if someone sneezes around our Christmas tree, it's all going to fall down right now like a Charlie Brown Christmas kind of thing. But that's what many of our hearts are, is we have been detached from Jesus, looking, like, looking okay for a while, right? Like the Christmas tree looks good for the first few weeks, uh, but eventually the lack of nutrients begins to show and the lack of spiritual fruit begins to show and we start to see that we've been detached from the vine, we haven't been abiding in Jesus and because we haven't been abiding in Jesus, we're not able to produce the fruit that he is calling us to produce. So then that, that makes us think, all right, let's go follow this chain again. We want to be a place that bears each other's burdens and restores each other in love. If we're going to do that, we have to be spiritual, which means we are, we're, have the fruit of the Spirit flowing through us. If we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit flowing through us, that means we have to be what, doing what Jesus is saying, which is abiding in him. So that means that the key to this whole process is abiding in Jesus. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to actually rest in him? And, and thankfully, Jesus gives us a very clear definition of what it means to abide in him. Just a few verses down in John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you abide in my love. 
Okay, what it means to abide in Jesus, to rest in him, is to rest and trust and remain and stay in his love. And, and what kind of love does Jesus show us? It's the exact same kind of love that his heavenly father has shown him. So, so, take, so for a little bit now, let's, let's think about our, our Trinitarian theology, right? We're not, we're not monotheists, we're, we're, we're uh, Trinitarians, right? So we believe that we are, there's only one God, but that one God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they have eternally existed in this relationship where they have always been loving each other to the fullest extent of what love is possible. They've always been loving, loving each other extravagantly and selflessly. They've always been, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have, have been um, um, perfectly and extravagantly and overflowingly in a relationship with each other loving. And what Jesus says is in that exact same way, like not in a similar way, but in the exact same way that the Father has loved him from eternity, Jesus has loved us from eternity. There has never been a moment that Jesus has not been loving us to this extent that the Father has loved him. And so when we talk about abiding in Jesus, you can see the, the, the legalism in all of our hearts, the fact that we all are naturally religious people who want to work hard to earn God's favor. You can see that legalism coming out in the fact that we turn something as beautiful and as wonderful as abiding in the eternally perfect love of Jesus. We turn that into a chore. We, we turn it into a New Year's resolution. Well, this year, I guess I better read my Bible more. I guess I'm going to go to church more. I guess I better pray more. I guess I better do all these things because my life last year was a mess. I want this year to go a little bit better, so I'll do these religious things to make sure I have a good life. And instead, what Jesus is saying is, no, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay? And, and the, I think the reason we fail to abide in his love so often is we don't understand the beauty of what it is. Okay, we, we, we've been, we've been uh, munching on little religious tidbits our whole life instead of feasting on the beauty and the glory of Jesus' love for us. I, I've used this illustration all the time that before I, Kelly and I got married as a single guy, my diet was, uh, was not very healthy, we'll put it that way. Like on, on a very good evening, if I was really going to splurge, I would do a Totino's frozen pizza. Do you guys know what Totino's pizza is? It's the one that comes in a cardboard box that you don't even need to take it out of the box because it tastes like cardboard anyway after you get done eating it. So I went from eating Totino's pizzas, those things, to now having this amazing chef who makes all these amazing meals. And, and uh, for uh, last night for dinner, we, we cooked a sourdough pizza, the fresh-made sourdough pizza on the grill with pesto and blue cheese and all these amazing fresh ingredients and all those things. And a lot of times we don't think, we, we, think, we think of coming to Jesus in his love as if it's the Totino's pizza when instead we've been offered this amazing feast that is such a beautiful and wonderful thing that it satisfies all the longings and the desires that we've ever had. So that makes me think that if the reason we're not able to bear one another's burdens the way we're supposed to is because we're not full of the fruit of the Spirit like we're supposed to, because we're not abiding in Jesus like we're supposed to, it's probably because we don't understand his love as we should. We don't fully comprehend what it means to experience the love of Jesus ourselves. So let's, let's look, if you're in Galatians still, flip over a few pages, probably just one or two pages, to Ephesians chapter 3. In this, in this other letter, Paul is explaining this very concept of what it means to understand the love of Jesus and listen how he describes the love of Jesus. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, 
Okay, so, so his prayer is based out of the, the overflow of God's glory, all of his beauty and character and majesty, all those things. If there was a storehouse full of the greatness of God, it's out of the riches of that storehouse that this prayer is based. And he says that out of that abundance, he prays that God may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, so, so the strength to understand this is going to come from the Holy Spirit inside of you so that, you may dw- that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, okay, so that you being attached to the vine, abiding in Jesus, having the nutrients of the Spirit flowing through you, that you may have the strength to comprehend. Okay, remember that the strength comes from the overflow of God's glory and his Holy Spirit in you, that that strength may be the thing to help you comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. His prayer from the abundance of the overflow of the riches of the glory of God through the power of the Spirit dwelling in you is that you could understand the thing that is ununderstandable, the love of God for you. He's saying that the love of God is so great and is so infinite for us that it's beyond our comprehension. And the only way that we can begin to understand that is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit inside of you in the first place. So when he he says height and depth and breadth and width and length and all those things, what he's saying is God's love is an infinite love. Have you ever tried to understand infinity? Uh, if If you haven't, go Google Hilbert's Hotel Read that Wikipedia article for about two minutes till your mind explodes and then realize, I cannot understand infinity. Okay, it's like, it's like watching Tenet and trying to understand it. It's an impossible task in front of you. Uh, if you haven't laughed, you, you haven't seen Tenet yet. That's why you're not getting that joke. But most of the movies I watched, no one had churches seen, so that's fine. Um, but the, uh, the idea of understanding the infinite love of God, that is the task of the believer. So if you're going to say, what is my job? If I'm going to be that fruit-bearing Christian who's been abiding in Jesus that bears the burdens of other people, how do we do that? By every single day, giving your life through the power of the Spirit to understanding the incomprehensible love of Jesus. The thing that is so much beyond our ability to grasp or think of, that pursuing that love is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, and the reason that's the end of this chain, where we say we want to bear each other's burdens and you have to work all the way back to actually understanding the love of Jesus. The reason that's so important for us as a church is because our vision is that you would experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people. Okay, but what this has all shown us is that no one will experience the love of Jesus through you unless you have first experienced the love of Jesus in you. Okay, no one can experience the love of Jesus through you unless you have first experienced the love of Jesus in you. And, and if you've been around church for a while, I mean, this, this, this is not new concepts. We've all heard people talk about the love of God. I, my, I've, for decades, I've heard people tell me that Jesus loves me. Okay, one of the first songs you learn as a kid growing up in church is Jesus loves me. I, for, for eight years, I've been preaching sermons on the fact that Jesus loves me and loves you. But for some reason, after all these years, it just hasn't sunk in. I, I go through my life and I think about whether or not Jesus loves me, and most of the time, the answer has been that I'm not sure if Jesus actually loves me or not. Okay, and here's, a, here's an application question for us all to think about. Uh, when Jesus thinks of you, like when Jesus calls you to mind specifically, what is the look on Jesus' face as he thinks of you? What is the look on Jesus' face as he thinks of you? And I think your answer to that 
will explain whether or not you are confident in this beginning part of this chain that the love of Jesus for you is infinite. Because if I'm honest, my whole life, I would say that when Jesus thinks of me, 95% of the time, he's disappointed. That he's, he's frustrated with me. He thinks I'm not living up to what I should be doing. He just thinks that I had all this opportunity and potential and it's all kind of been wasted. He's just pretty much disappointed. But then 5% of the time, I think God is pro- probably delighted in me. That is not a healthy equation, okay? That is not what the Christian life is supposed to be. And, and through a lot of different things that God has done, uh, through other people speaking into my life, through the power of his word and through time and prayer, I think this, this 2020 year, all of this, the mess that's happened, I think my little equation has changed from 5% delighted to 10% delighted. And it is incredible. Like, I can't even tell you how great it is to, to go from being so uh, drained and, and, and dry and feeling like your whole life is under the disappointment of Jesus to then all of a sudden getting a little bit of a taste of the fact that, wait a second, like, I think Jesus loves me. I don't think that's made up. I, th- I think that's something that, that is in the Bible because it's God's word and it's true and he actually does love you and me. And so, so in going from 5% to 10% of that equation, which is all, these are all just made up numbers, obviously. But now I'm thinking, wait a second, what would it feel like if I could get to like 50% of my life believing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus delights in me, that he actually loves me. He loves me enough to die for me. He loves you enough to die for you. He, he, he delights in you as his son and daughter. That's an infinite love that's beyond understanding. What if we were a place where that is the thing that characterized all of us? that we, were, we had experienced the love of Jesus so deeply and intimately that we couldn't help but have it explode through our lives. That everyone that comes into this gym would say, there's something different in there. And I think those people have actually met this Jesus they are singing about. Okay, too often like when we sing worship songs, it feels like we're talking about someone else. We're not talking to the Savior that we have this intimate love relationship with. And so, so what I want to do, um, one of the tools that God used for me this summer to go from 5% to 10% was a, was a book by Henry Nouwen called Life of the Beloved. Uh, it is, he's a Catholic priest, so he's not our tribe. He's not, um, he has some different theological beliefs than we would, uh, but I think this guy loves Jesus, and I think he has experienced Jesus' love. And, and what this book has done for me is opened my eyes to some of the scriptures that I've been skimming over and started to help me see how it is, what it looks like to actually experience the love of Jesus in my heart. So, so what this book does is fascinating. I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking about it. Is he takes his life as a Catholic priest, and he says that one of the most important functions for him in the, in the, where, the place that he served as a priest was before every meal, he would, his job was to take a loaf of bread, to bless it, to pray over it, and then to break it, and then to give it out to people. And so uh, he uses that as a metaphor and says, this is what God has done with all of us. And if you look through those four steps, you can see how God has shown us his love through each of those steps. So just like he as a priest would take a loaf of bread, he, this book biblically is pointing out that, that God has chosen all of us. He has taken us. If you are a follower of Christ, it's because he has grasped you. And he has said, you are mine. And so if we're going to believe that Jesus loves us, we have to begin by understanding that you have been chosen. And so the, the three steps he gives for that is saying that if you're going to believe that you're chosen, that you're, that you're loved, you have to unmask the lies of the world that say you're not chosen. Okay, we, we all have the, this, this voice in the back of our heads that says you are unlovable because of this. Okay, you are a miserable failure because of this. I, I read a book by J.D. Greer where he talked about uh, this idea of a soundtrack 
Like, like, like picture someone walking along a beach and it seems peaceful and calm, uh, but then put that same person walking along the beach with the, the Jaws soundtrack playing in the background and all of a sudden it goes from this like calm little excursion to like, oh my gosh, that guy's going to die kind of thing. And he's saying that what a lot of us have, this is J.D. Gere's illustration, what a lot of us have is we have this soundtrack playing in the back of our minds that says, you have been rejected. You are unlovable. You are a miserable failure. You are not worthy of anyone's time. And, and, and that soundtrack is playing in the back of our minds, and so we can go to something like the Bible and read these words about the love of Jesus, but because the soundtrack, the Jaws music is playing, it completely changes the, the atmosphere that we should be embracing with it. And so in the same way, that is a lie of the world that says you are not loved by God. So when you encounter those feelings, you have to unmask them and say, that is a lie from Satan, that is not from Jesus. The second thing we have to do is we have to be with people and be in places that remind you that you are chosen. The goal of the Sunday gathering is getting together with God's people and being reminded corporately that God loves us enough to send his son to die for us. And the, the third part of this step is we should thank God every day for choosing us. Okay, begin your day by, with a little prayer that says, Lord, thank you for loving me and for choosing me. And, and by repeating that prayer over and over, it starts to train our brains to, to believe the truths that God has actually shown us. Right, for the sake of time, I need to go a little faster here. But the, so the, he takes the loaf of bread. The next thing he does is he prays over it. He blesses it. And so as followers of Christ, we have to believe that we have been blessed by God. And the ways that we can do that is by uh, spending time in prayer, be with God, actually commune with him, uh, spend time sitting with him in silence, hearing what he is saying to you, uh, be with him, and then also be present with the blessings that he gives you through other people. Okay, the reason that, that someone can, can speak at a, or let me th- think of it this way. Someone says, you have 10 people say nice things to you, and you have one person say something awful to you. What is the comment that replays in your mind over and over again for years and years and years? It's the, it's the, the evil comment, the mean comment. And the reason that is is because we're not fully present with the blessing that comes through other people. When, when someone blesses you and says a, a, a kind thing that is from God as a way of loving you, receive that as the voice of God speaking to you and be present in that blessing instead, instead of ignoring. Uh, the third step is, is broken, so he breaks the loaf of bread. Uh, God uses brokenness in all of our lives. Uh, we've all had hardship happen to us and, and terrible things take place. And that is a part of what God is doing to work in us a, a more mature following of him and a more mature understanding of his love for us. So when we are broken, uh, now one says the first thing to do is you have to befriend it. You, you, have, you have to draw your brokenness close. Instead of pushing it aside and saying, I wish this thing wasn't a part of my story, you have to say, this is part of God's sovereign plan. And because of that, I can put my brokenness under the blessing. If God has blessed me, then even the brokenness in my life is a part of the blessing of God. And then lastly, uh, he, he gives the, lo- the bread out to the people he's eating with. And so in the same way, we have been given to those around us. We have been sent to go love people with our lives and love people with our death, is how he explains this, that, that we, would, we would die well because we're so confident in the love of Jesus. And, and so, so th- th- this little step thing that, here, th- this is just something God has used for me to help open my eyes to the fact that Jesus loves me. But the, 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 the only reason that sticks is because we have encountered Jesus through his word and we have understood who Jesus is in his person. And so the first part of our vision statement is encountering the person of Jesus through the transforming study of his word. 
And so that's why this year our prayer for us as a church is that we would all spend some time each and every day diving in as deeply as possible to the Word of God, to our Bibles, spending time with Him in prayer, and then journaling and praying through what it is that God has shown us through His Word. So that's why we, we've shared a, a New Testament in a Year Bible reading plan. Uh, and the New Testament in a Year is awesome because it, it's less than a chapter a day to get through the whole New Testament. And a lot of times if you read your Bible, the whole thing in a year, or have some like aggressive reading plan, you're just going through it so quick, you never get the time to actually sit and be with Jesus. So, so our prayer is that this New Testament in a year would be something where we all have this time each and every day to, to, to block out on our calendars, to, to set aside, to be with Jesus, and to experience his love in a special way. And the thing I love about that is the New Testament in the year means that we're going to be in the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from now until the middle of June. Okay, which means like half the year, we're just going to be reading about these stories of Jesus and encountering the, the person of Jesus through the study of his words. And the reason that's important is because go back to that question of when Jesus thinks of you, what is the look on his face? Okay, and, and when you read the Gospels, you get these stories after story after story where you get to encounter Jesus and put yourself there and say, if I was in that person's position, what would be the look on Jesus' face when he was speaking to me? Okay, and, and so the example I want to do is read from uh, Mark chapter 10. This is a, I read the same story uh, in the Christmas Eve service. It's just such a powerful picture. Uh, so there's this, there's this uh, well, let me just read. John, Mark chapter 10, beginning verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as, as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, that heart of brokenness and repentance, the, the, the posture of need, be, being blind, sitting on the side of the road as a beggar, having no hope, no future, just dependent on other people's alms, dropping into your hand is the only way you could survive. That's a picture of all of us spiritually. And so, so put yourself, like close your eyes and picture yourself sitting along the dusty streets of Jericho, hearing this commotion come by, this crowd that's passing. You've heard the stories of Jesus and you hear that Jesus himself is walking by and you're so desperate, you have nothing left to do, but you cry out and say, son of David, have mercy on me. And you cry for his help. And what the first thing you hear is other people rebuking you, telling you to shut up and be quiet. Okay, that's what we all encounter when we try to press into the love of Jesus and encounter him in a deeper way is this rejection that says, no, you're actually not worth Jesus' time. Okay, so, so now, that question, what is the look on Jesus' face when he thinks of you? Let's read the rest of this story. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And, and that's the question that Jesus asks all of us, is, is what do you want me to do for you? So now, what is the look on his face when he says that to you? Is it disdain? Is it disappointment? Is it disgust? Is it what, you again? What, what do you want now? What are you after this time? You didn't do it on your own like you're supposed to. You screwed up again. Now you need me to come rescue you again. Is that what's happening? Or is it what I think the Bible actually says is Jesus' character? Is his, is his face full of compassion? Is his voice full of kindness? Is, is, is his touch gentle and kind and gracious and loving and, and all of those things? I think that's who Jesus is. And so then when Bartimaeus asked for his sight back, Jesus says, go your way, your faith has healed you. 
Okay, and, and that's not a reluctant healing where someone's having to grab something from Jesus' grip and Jesus is unwilling. I think that's the character of Jesus would say. It's, a, it's an abundant, it's an extravagant, it's a giving of himself. It's a, it's a loving thing to do to speak to him. And so if we're going to be a place where people experience the love of Jesus through us, we have to first experience the love of Jesus in us. And that's what our prayer is for this, this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, um, these many different passages, the way that all of these show us the fact that, um, that we need each other, uh, that you have put us in a church, in a body of Christ, uh, because you love us and you've given us what we need in this gathering. Uh, at the same time, Lord, we confess our dependence on you. We know that it's only by the power of your Spirit that we can do anything that is loving or joyful or kind or good or any of the, any of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that we would be able to abide in you, that we would be a church that was so dependent on you that we would understand that apart from you we can do nothing uh, and that we would rest and remain with you and that we would begin to understand what it means to rest in your love. Uh, Lord, that this infinite love that's so beyond our comprehension, I pray that this morning you would give us just a little bit more of an understanding of what that is a little bit more grace that helps us to see the fact that you have loved us with an eternal love, a perfect love, a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And Lord, so it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, let's spend some time now at our tables or in our living rooms uh, discussing what this looks like for each of us. Uh, if this is your first time here, know that everything you share at the table, you're not going to be met with uh, judgment or disdain or any of those things, but you will be loved well at your table. I can promise you that. So the first question that I have for us uh, is that one we've been talking about. When Jesus, uh, what is the look on Jesus' face when he thinks of you and why? Uh, and, and if you are 100% delighted, you know that he loves you, praise God for that. Uh, use that love to encourage people at your table. Uh, if, if you say, I feel like I'm only at the 5% that he likes me kind of thing, be honest with that as well. And then process why that is. And then secondly, uh, how do you plan to better comprehend the incomprehensible love of Jesus in 2021? And then the little suggestion or the hint is, let's do it through this reading plan together. Let's do it by journaling and praying. So we have some of these Missio Day journals at your table for that reason, that, that as you read through the New Testament, that each morning you would not just read it and move on, but you would stop and you would pray God's word back to him, and you would journal that in your prayer journals as you read. Uh, and then the last question is for, for uh, you with, with kids, especially, but really for all of us, is how did you experience Jesus' love in 2020, and how can you help others experience Jesus' love in 2021? So we'll do that for uh, five to ten minutes, and then we will end with communion and worship. We're ready to move into a time of communion together. And um, as, as Colbert talked about, you know, we are, we are able to love others. We're able to love others around us, love others in our church, because God loved us. And if you really want to understand the true measure of God's love for us, you only have to look at the cross. Um, remember the image of of Jesus on the cross. In the, the Gospel of John, the Apostle John writes to us that um, there's no greater love, no greater love one has than to lay his life down for his friends. In um, the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes um, that while we were still sinners, God showed his love for us, Christ showed his love for us by giving himself as a sacrifice on the cross. Even later he says, um, while we were enemies of God. We were sinners, we we're enemies of God. So if you think ever that you are somehow not worthy of, of God's love, remember that even, you know, for me, more than 1,961 years before I was born, 
before I had a chance to do anything, any of us, before we had a chance to do anything, Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And that wasn't, that wasn't plan B. It wasn't even plan A. It was God's plan, only plan, right from the start. And so that is how much God loves us. And, and that's why we, we take communion as a way of remembering um, God's love for us, Christ's sacrifice for us, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and spend eternity with him. If you understand that truth, if that's, if that's where you've placed your faith, um, we'd welcome you to participate in communion with us today. If you're here, um, there should be communion elements on the table. If you're at home watching the live stream or in the, li- uh, in the library watching the stream, uh, please gather your elements and, um, and we'll take communion together. So I'll read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, we'll take the bread together, we'll take the the juice together, and then I'll pray for us. And then after that, uh, we'll continue worshiping in song. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it and remember to me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. God, the, um, the magnitude of your love is... It really is impossible, to, I think, for us to understand and appreciate. As Colbert talked earlier about how hard it is for us to even conceive of infinity. Your love is infinite. Your love is beautiful. Your love is perfect. Your love overflows. And there's so many things that, that each of us have experienced in this life that unfortunately dim uh, our understanding of love, dim our experience of love. Um, but... You sacrificed yourself on the cross uh, as a, a penalty to pay the penalty for our sins. Um, no greater love is there than to lay one's life down for one's friends. And um, God, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing yourself to us. Thank you for sharing your word with us. So many ways, Lord, um, that you love us. So we thank you for that. We praise you, God. We pray that. Um, in the knowledge of your love for us and in the experience of your love for us, in the overflow, we're able to share your love um, with others. And so we, may we all be uh, more loving um, in the coming days, weeks, months, and in this year. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh,